everyone, and welcome to another episode of Do I Still Love It? The podcast that remembers the time before Elf on the Shelf. Oh, I miss that time. Yeah. Elf on the Shelf scares me. Yeah, it's really scary. I read this article about how it's like essentially making kids comfortable with, with surveillance. Big, big yeah. Brother. Like it's, it's the gateway Big Brother drug. Yeah, I, I, I don't feel comfortable with no. it at all. Uh, I just feel like any of the fun hijinks that people get the thing, like just do that with their kids' stuffed animals. But don't, I will don't do it with a weird, creepy elf thing. I do look at just because there's a part of me that wants to become like a craft mom and know that I'm like not going to be a craft mom. <laughs> um, so I will look at like creative elf on the shelf like articles. <laughs> I'll be like, these are the best elf on the shelf and be like, oh, this is so great. I'll never do this. <laughs> <laughs> My kid will be pissed at me. And will hold it against me for their entire life that they did not get Elf on the Shelf. Yeah, I'll just be like, no, we're not doing Elf on the Shelf. And I'll say it's for moral reasons, but it'll be absolutely laziness. (laughs) And that's what it is. You're listening to Do I Still Love It? A podcast where we rewatch the movies and TV shows that we loved when we were kids to see whether or not we still love them now that we're grownups. And our grownup big kid this week is writer-director Diana Wright. Right. Hey. Hello. Hey. I'm so happy you're back. Yeah. yeah. We, Thanks for having me back, guys. Yeah. We had Diana on the Sandlot episode. We highly recommend everyone go back and check that one out if you haven't. It's a good one. But uh, this week, we have you on our Christmas episode to rewatch 1990s Home Alone. Ooh. The we, quintessential. The highest grossing Christmas movie of all time. Really? I, mean, right, I think rightfully so. I don't know. I haven't watched it since I was 12, but... Do you do would either of you ladies like to offer a guess as to how much you think it made domestically? Ooh, you said 1990. Mm-hmm. This is not adjusting for inflation. Um, uh, yeah, I'm gonna guess uh, uh, 125 million. You're about halfway there. Oh my god! I'm well, gonna guess 250 million. I can do. You're better. much closer. <laughs> it made. $285.8 million. Well, I was actually going to say $300 million before you threw me off. You know, so. I, I forgot that in 1990, like, movies would make money because there, we didn't have so much streaming options. <laughs> yeah. like, people were yeah. desperate for things to do. Right. When it By time it ended its theatrical run, it was the third highest grossing movie of all time behind Star Wars and E.T. Oh, wow. At the time. Nice. It has since lost oh, that Macaulay throne. Oh, Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. And... Everyone came out great from that movie. (laughs) Just socially and just well adjusted. Super well adjusted. Still has a great career. Yeah. Everyone is just Oscars, Oscars, left and right. This movie's I'm assuming famous for every actor in it winning an Oscar. Right. Not for this movie, but later in their career. Of course. Uh, so, <laughs> D- Diana, for the people who maybe have never heard of Home Alone, which they'd be lying if they said that, but what what is the plot of Home Alone? All right. Home Alone, as I remember it, is a family travels somewhere for Christmas. They forget their maybe youngest son, maybe a middle son, and then he uh, does some hijinks home alone until some two crooks decide to rob the house and he fights, fights them to the death. It's like a kid diehard. <laughs> oh my gosh, it is kid diehard. It is kid die- <laughs> This is a revelation. I have never thought of home alone, but you are 100% right. I know what's going to go on the poster. Oh my gosh. It's, okay. it's kid diehard. It's kid's kid diehard. And so already earlier this year, we watched Blank Check, and we drew a lot of comparisons to 
uh, Home All Alone the ways there. in which it falls short oh. of attempting to say it's Home Alone. Uh, for anyone who didn't listen to that episode, I'd like to tell everyone that the poster for Blank Check actually says, if you liked Home Alone, you'll love Blank Check. <laughs> yeah, like, it, please come see it. Please give us that Home Alone money. Uh, We're not pandering at all. <laughs> yeah, totally. So what was... What was uh what was little Diana like uh, around we you know, around the time this movie came out? Oh, um, let's see. I uh, I was five. I was in kindergarten. Um, I was not as socially adjusted as I should should have been. Uh, I was a little chubby kid. Uh, it, fun fact about me in kindergarten: my kindergarten teacher uh, gave me the nickname Die Die, which I hated, and. I told her to stop. I kept asking her to stop. So this is really a, uh, an allegory about consent. Um, and she didn't. And so I punched her in the stomach. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. How'd um, that go for you? You know, I uh, I don't. I don't remember being punished, um, but I probably was. Were um, you really packing heat in those five-year-old fists? I, you know what, I, I certainly had the weight. To, I was the heavyweight, to, to, you know, kindergartner. You, as long so. as you pivoted from the waist, you were yeah. like, all right. Yeah, uh, and if I remember correctly, the kid I carpooled with that year um, was so annoying and he got held back at kindergarten and I've never been happier because I hated that kid. And then he got held back for normal <laughs> development reasons and I was like, maybe there is a God. Like <laughs> Temporarily, a kid being held back in kindergarten slightly restored your faith in yeah. an almighty. I legit, uh, I recently someone organized a, like a 20-year elementary school reunion and I found this box of of papers when I like in third grade it was like you're you're the star of the week mm-hmm. and everyone has to like write why they like you and <laughs> I look through them and they were like uh you're okay when you're in a good mood I guess <laughs> and I was like maybe I was a little asshole like this is maybe I like there was a reason why I didn't get invited to like things and I was like maybe I was a little dick I had a very similar upbringing where I had no friends, um, but it wasn't because I was a little dick. Oh, it's because I thought I was smarter than everyone. Right. Yeah, there you go. Judgmental. <laughs> I, just, I just realized. <laughs> I, I, like I mean, I think I was a pretty quiet, weird, moody, angsty, chubby kid. <laughs> yeah. I was a teacher's pet. Yeah. So I, I think when, when I was a young kid, I was definitely like the uh, talkative, like class clown, everyone pay attention to me type. So so you were Macaulay Culkin. I was definitely Macaulay Ooh. Culkin. This movie like strongly resonated to me to the point where I know that after this, my brother and I started trying to lay traps for Santa. Oh yeah, like Home Alone style. Like we can catch this old man, and if his, <laughs> and if his bag of tricks, if his bag of toys works the way it works in every single movie, he brings every kid's present down with him and only pulls a few out. If we catch him, we get an entire world's worth of toys. Listen to you, petty criminals. <laughs> oh, it was more like a wor- like super villain level. Like we could have all of the world's you had, gifts. Like, a long con going with Santa. Yeah, and you're yeah. Like this is how this is how I do it. Right. No forethought, though. You're not planning next year, like, no. You know, but you're like, I'll, I'll be satisfied with one bag well, full of Well, when you're a kid, a year is a whole lifetime away. So, like, you got to think in the here and now. How yeah. are we going to get this, like, red man all, like, bundled up 
And at this age, I'm like seven. So it's this is the last Christmas that I believe in Santa Claus. Oh man, <laughs> seven was because was your and, because my eighth my eighth Christmas it was actually on Christmas Day that uh, I unwrapped a gift marked for Santa, and it was a gift that I had found hidden in my parents' <gasps> closet already. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I my I found out Santa didn't exist. I think it was a little bit older than that. I went to bed wearing a full cat costume. This is like before animal onesies. This was just like a cat costume my mom made and I was like wearing it to bed. Like uh, where the wild things are style. Yeah, yeah. And had to wake up. I woke up in the middle of the night. I really had to pee. Went out. It was in my grandmother's house. Like we went out. I went out to the bathroom. Someone was in it. So I was like, oh, I'm waiting out in the hallway. And I heard like stuffing happening and i turn around and all of my like my aunt and my mom uh, and like they were all stuffing stockings and presents and i was like oh no oh man that is that is an iconic yeah that's a real crack it was it was a christmas eve revelation where i like woke up and was like what's point <laughs> oh yeah you must have been not a fun kid on christmas morning yeah it's like ugh, whatever <laughs> it's all it's all lies smoke and mirrors yeah i just was i was told by the neighbor kid and the neighbor kid was like two years younger than me so like oh what, what and i came home and i was like mom it's not real santa's real right and she's like well <laughs> <gasps> your mom let the cat out of the and bag i was like oh oh crap but like this, the tooth fairy's real, right? And she was like, well. Oh. Just unpacking everything. Yeah. The tooth fairy, for some reason, got me harder than Santa. Really? I, don't, I have no idea why. My parents and I, like, we just kept up. We were like, like, the next year, I, I was like, oh, I guess I don't have to make cookies for Santa. And my mom was like, but you can still make cookies for Santa, right? Like, I still want cookies. So we were just like, let's just let's just treat this like a waspy family and just not talk about it. And we're just going to carry on. So speaking of Christmas magic, part of the magic, I feel, of Christmas growing up was watching Christmas movies. And this is like a prime example of like... The sort of Christmas movie that I really wanted to watch. One that has, like, action and comedy in it. Like, when I was a kid, I didn't quite get the traditional squeaky clean, like, kids' Christmas movies. Like, you know, the the claymation ones and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Like, I wanted it to be a bit raunchier. Wow. I'm just excited for all of the, like, elaborate Rube Goldberg machine <laughs> style because that's that's also all I wanted to do as a kid. Like, I just wanted to have some sort of elaborate pulley system. I think once I rigged up my entire room with string and straws just so I could turn on or off the lights in my bed, and it took about just 400 yards of string. Like, I had no efficiency whatsoever. So once you join us in watching this Christmas holiday tradition is we enjoy 1990s Home Alone. Also known as Kid Die Hard. Kid Die Hard. Where are you going? We're going to miss the plane! When the McAllister family left on their Christmas vacation... Did we miss the plane? No, you just made it. Yeah! They forgot one small thing. Have yourself... I had a terrible feeling. Did you lock up? Yeah. Do we set the timers on the lights? Mm Mm-hmm. What else could we be forgetting? 
troubles will be ours. Kevin! Ah! Home alone. Police in the northern suburbs are on the lookout for a pair of burglars who are calling themselves the Wet Bandits. We know that you're in there. It's Santa Claus and his elf. Get off my property. This is my house. I have to defend it. Where's your mother? My mom's in the car. Where's your father? He's at work. What about your brothers and sisters? I'm an only child. Where do you live? I can't tell you that. Why not? Because you're a stranger. He's a kid. I mean, what can a kid do to us? Kids are stupid. I know I was. Use the alarm, Mark. This is it. Ow! I don't care if I can get out on your runway and hitchhike. I am going to get home to my son. Why'd you dress like a chicken? Gus Polinski, Polka King of the Midwest. If you have to get to Chicago, we'll gladly drive you. Hey, guys. Yesterday, he was just a kid. But tonight, he's a home security system. You guys give up? Or you're thirsty for more? From John Hughes. You know, I got a feeling this is going to be your best Christmas ever. A family comedy without the family. Home alone. Are you here all alone? I'm eight years old. You think I'd be here alone? I don't think so. Directed by Chris Columbus, coming November 16th. All right, and that was uh, 1990s Home Alone. <laughs> and Diana Wright, what is your first impression? Oh, uh, man, I, uh, I thought it was great. Um, <laughs> it has some flaws. But it's a really well thought out, using everything in the bag. We just maxed out this idea of, like, kid, home alone. And then they were like, all right, go. Yeah, there definitely are a whole bunch of different kinds of movies happening all at once in this movie. There's a fun, like, letting kids be kids movie going on. And there's also a Three Stooges, like, pratfall comedy going on. And there is also this touching drama about parental love, you know, and the... And the <laughs> strange relationships that we have with our parents where we, you know, can get angry at them and then forgive them, you know? And this is all, like, going on at once and, like, pulling out all the heartstrings. I always feel like movies like this usually require the kids to be orphans because they, (laughs) like, they need, like, a lax parental supervision. Like, being like, the the people that love them the most are dead. So it's cool that, like, they're kind of... (laughs) Like all the no. little rascals were orphans. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, oh, no one's really supervising them, so they can get into trouble. And this one's like, ah, oh, the family is too entitled to think that they've ever done anything wrong in time to realize <laughs> that they've left their child alone in a different country. And they are shocked to find they cannot buy their way out of their problems because their problems are happening on the busiest travel day of the year. Um, I think that's something that's really... Um, and this isn't like I always knew this was what this movie was about even as a kid mm-hmm. like I didn't grow up in the suburbs and all of the movies from this time period happened in the suburbs like that's what we were spoon fed as kids and I was always kind of on the outside of that and so 
like this movie was like the ultimate suburban movie because it was the rich kid suburban movie, but they never talk about the fact that they're rich. Oh, they're it's super just, rich. It's yeah. Super rich. And so, because it's not, it's not thrown in your face. It's just like, this is our normal life, guys. The dad uh, like works a job he definitely doesn't deserve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And I'm pretty sure that the mom is a stay-at-home mom and she likes to sew because like anytime you go in the basement, there's like all the mannequins. They but... do have a ton of mannequins. <laughs> but, like <laughs> more mannequins than a, a family should. Yes, they, I had, agree. they had at least three mannequins and then at least one dress bust and like yeah, yeah. And several cardboard cutouts. And so I thought that was really like a nice setup because I was like, oh, does that mean that mom is just like, this is her hobby? <laughs> she just likes to make clothes for her kids for well, fun. I did feel like they they did try to make everything make sense. Like they like the whole Easter egg of the like ticket in the trash gets thrown away like they tried to like be like okay how can this family legitimately forget a child right because there there are several they go through a head count that requires some convoluted nosy neighbor kid getting counted as kevin that's such a funny little like throw in of of the plot where this little kid shows up and he's like hey my name's mikey let me be annoying for like 30 seconds of the movie just Just to do this gag never comes back they have several moments, yes, where we they explain away how they could be quote-unquote bad parents. And I wonder if that's <laughs> specifically because we're supposed to like Catherine O'Hara. We're supposed to appreciate the lengths she is going to to try and make restitution for what she feels is and being a bad And by lengths mom. she is going to, do you mean demeaning all of the workers, stealing the phone and telling someone that they're not allowed to have a phone call? And... <laughs> yeah. She's a real entitled white lady. She's a very entitled white lady. But I have, like, a lot of issue with the way that she sold her predicament to people. Oh, yeah. Because she didn't sell it as the actual emergency that it is. She was just like, my kid's home alone. I'm trying to get back to him for Christmas. She's not communicating her issue very well, and it's getting her in a lot of problems. And I just wanted to shake her and just be like, learn to talk. So I feel like that's a real trope in movies all the time when they're like, I, we don't have time. We don't have time to explain it. You just got to trust me. And I'm like, dude, the amount of times you've told me we don't have time, you you had time. Give me a brief. Right. Like she yeah. could be like, it's a, it's a long, I think what they're trying to do is avoid the like child services like call. Oh, ooh, so maybe... It's not that she's a, necessarily a bad, bad communicator. She just doesn't know how to find that balance between, can I get you to help me it's, without you reporting me oh, to CPS? It's a three-strike law. She's at two. She, <laughs> I mean, you see how many kids are in their house? I mean... They're bound to be running around with knives and stuff in their hands. Yeah, their house is crowded because the entire McAllister clan, which is like dad and his hideous brother and all of their hideous brother wonderfully written character played really really well hate the fuck out of that guy just the worst it's funny even his wife seems to hate him like yeah when when on the airplane she's probably the nicest one of all the adults oh yeah when when on the airplane Catherine o'hara finally realizes kevin you know when she does that the next time we see them her husband and uh, his brother and their and his wife are all like consoling, but it's they're all consoling her. And the brother just says like, "Hey, if it makes you feel any better, I left my reading glasses at home." And his wife and Catherine O'Hara and her husband all look at him like, "The fuck you is fuck wrong his, with you?" His this wife shit. looks at him with a look that's like, 
if I didn't sign a prenup, <laughs> I would divorce you right now. <laughs> yeah. But I'm used to comfort. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. <laughs> yes. At least until the kids are out of high school. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so Kevin gets left home alone and they have to go again. They have to keep establishing even more ho- like, like hoops, like all the telephone services down at Christmas for several days in a row. And, uh, and so there's just no way. And then like the police are all terrible. So they don't do their jobs at all. And so anyway, so Kevin gets left by himself and we all commented on how he immediately goes right into doing domestic things. Oh my god, yeah. yes. He does his own laundry? <laughs> yeah. What eight-year-old, when they suddenly have the house all to themselves, and like, oh, I'm gonna do some laundry. But also, like, it's like, all right, time to go to the store. I need to buy detergent to be like, oh. Like, he went down to the basement, tried to do his laundry, was like, there's no dish, like, detergent. <laughs> Better go to the store. Like, <laughs> that is a motivated... That's an, a, a high-functioning adult. It I takes me a ridiculous amount of time to be like, oh, I need a thing at the store. I guess I'll go to it. Like, yeah. Me. Yeah, like, I don't know if I'm the only one here who the moment you buy detergent is when you also have to do laundry because all, all the clothes in your house are dirty. Like, how are all of Kevin's clothes dirty? Like, I mean, already. he clearly has an neglectful mother. <laughs> He definitely has a neglectful mother. No one's going to give Catherine O'Hara Mother of the Year award. Like she... Negatory. He, he was supposed to pack a bag for a two-week trip, or a, I don't know how long trip, but like, he didn't have any clean clothes. <laughs> and was eight his... years old. What mother expects their eight-year-old to pack their own bag? You know He's what? He's the baby child. She's not a helicopter parent. She definitely. Is. Yeah. She's a shoe in that. Oh, they're both definitely wine-drinking, inattentive parents. <laughs> sure that like this kid within a week of being born she looked at him and she's like i don't like you as much as my other kids she was just like i've got four already i'm tired (laughs) so joe pesci and daniel stern are our burglars and they actually have the relatively genius idea of pretending to be a cop who just goes around warning all the rich families like hey just fyi are you taking proper precautions what sort of security do you have at your house? Which the oh-so-trusting McAllister family just tells exactly what their security system it is It was like. the 90s. White people trusted cops. <laughs> <laughs> Especially white cops. I mean, yes, I can see that this was a good scam potentially. But also, if every single house where this guy dropped by, if he'd like... I don't know. I feel like this could really backfire, but it doesn't really matter that it didn't backfire because the uh, the wet bandits thing backfired. Oh, yeah. So Daniel Stern, when they're going around breaking into houses, Daniel Stern, to really lock in how much you're supposed to hate the burglars and definitely want them to get the punishment that's coming to them, is Daniel Stern, after they destroy people's houses for no reason, then steal whatever they feel like stealing, he plugs the drains in their kitchen sinks and turns their facets on to flood their homes. Yeah, it's just like a real dick move. <laughs> like, he's just the fucking worst. You're supposed to think these guys are the fucking worst. And he's definitely playing like the Lenny of the Mice and Men. Oh, yeah. Uh, burglar trope. He's not the idea man. He's not the idea. He's the muscle. <laughs> right. Uh, and Joe Pesci is the idea man, and I love Joe Pesci in this movie. He, I mean, he knows, 
he knows what type of movie this is in terms of he's like, oh, you want me to scream for how long and <laughs> yeah. how large? I Yeah, I can do that. And He, he gets a blowtorch turned on his head and, and he screams for five solid seconds. And doesn't move. That's the best part. He just like lets the flame smash into his head as he screams. And he's looking, his like eye line is just slightly off the camera lens and the look of on Joe Peggy's face is like, all right, the director said that the helmet that I'm wearing underneath this thing is going to protect my head from the flames. I talked to the stunt guy thing. I feel good about it. All right. Okay. I'm just going to look at my mark. I'm just going to wait for it to be over. He's got a car cut. I said, I'd do one take and one take only. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a glorious take. It's worth the entire watch of the movie is just to see (laughs) Joe Pesci in pain. I mean, there's another moment that's like totally worth the entire movie. And that's when they almost run into Kevin with their van. Oh, yeah. They (laughs) do a good... So there it, is, I mean, there's a reason why Home Alone got famous for Kevin looking into the camera and screaming, because he does a lot of screams and does them well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this kid got famous. He, he became a millionaire by 10 years old because he screamed good. Yeah, he doesn't shriek. His, his, his thing is goofy horror, like, bah! They do, they almost hit him with his car, and they get so close, and then he does this really funny side scream. <laughs> Just drop jaw. And it is it is great timing. Yeah. It, it was yeah. really we we did a fast forward or, or rewind. We we, we re- did the quick it. boop boop and yeah. watched it again. It was solid. I would watch it again right now. Yeah. Maybe we'll put up the gif. <laughs> yeah. Check out uh link to that on the website do I still love it dot com. <laughs> we might as well get into as as Laura called it are you ready for the main event? Because <laughs> that's what I felt like. It felt as though it was this like rambling kind of like solo comedy of this like weird eccentric kid doing there his is laundry. A lot of ramping. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, the music changes, and it's like, "Are you ready to rumble?" And then it's just like, you you go up the roller coaster, and then you just go down for twenty minutes, and then the movie's over. Speaking of music. Uh, John Williams composed the music to this. Yeah, so there's Star Wars Christmas music playing through the entire thing. It is. It's pretty good. I.e., was it originally in the Star Wars Christmas special? Oh my gosh, was it? The Chewbacca one? Yeah. But they go to Chewbacca's planet to celebrate Life Day. Oh my god, I've never watched it. (laughs) Oh my gosh, Um, we should do that one. No, and it's actually really impressive. Like, the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Like these aren't actual Christmas songs. It's it's real music, yeah. Like versions of Christmas songs. They like, yeah. But a classy music. Yeah. So yeah. the main event, the whole thing, the whole shebang that has been building up to is, uh, Kevin McAllister learns that the burglars are going to come and break into his house. So he sets up booby traps all through his house, and uh, he doesn't. He pulls out all the stops in two hours. <laughs> Yeah, the weird thing is he the mo, the burglars unsuccessfully break into his house in broad daylight, but they learn they that the kid is there home alone, and they're like, "We're gonna come back, you know, like at nine o'clock tonight." So <laughs> on the dot, on the dot, on the literal punctual. dot, they are punctual burglars. 
But the thing is, you would think if you had just heard that burglars are going to be breaking into your house at 9 o'clock tonight, maybe you would do something like, I don't know, call the cops or if you were planning on booby trapping your house, doing that. But no, first, Kevin goes to the church to confess his sins to God. He's lonely. He's just lonely and he runs into his elderly neighbor and his Very elderly important. neighbor shares way too much with the little boy and then... Yeah. And then Kevin, I mean, Kevin's just like very smart in this. The whole thing, he offers him very wise advice. And then he goes and booby traps his house. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I love it's just like they show a montage of him getting this whole house ready. And this l- setting up all of the shenanigans that went down literally took a prop crew about eight hours as a crew of five people. Yeah, I would love to know how long it took the art department to set this up because the movie tells us that one eight-year-old does it in two hours. <laughs> so, I mean, they really they really set all of his kids up for, like, you know, high expectations for ourselves. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, I, that was a real bummer when I found out that, like, you couldn't learn things or set things up in like montage form like oh, montage yeah. is that like, stuff takes a long time where you're like oh my god like no it should take one length of eye of the tiger that's how long i'm supposed to learn how to do this i mean that's how long that... it took them to build a tree house in this cartoon i was watching the other day like one I... of the true travesties of our generation all of us are just like too Wait, many it's hard. I'm not instantly good at it. It took more than three uh, minutes. Done. Pass. <laughs> yeah. I can just skim it and I'll save it for later. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> Seven years later. So I want to do a quick run through of all. I, I think I wrote them all down. All the all right. the chamber of horrors that Kevin puts them through. He begins by shooting Joe Pesci in the crotch. Then he oh. shoots Daniel Stern in the head. Start. With a crotch shot. That's that's where this movie starts. They're like, let's aim high. Well, aim low. low. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so he takes a BB right to the to the balls. Now Laura immediately says, "I'm out." <laughs> <laughs> I don't care if the kid is eight and it's a BB gun. If they start by literally shooting my body, I'm not gonna try to break into their house. Look, they have stolen a lot. Apparently this entire plot goes on vacation. No one's here. And so they have robbed most of the houses. And then this is just like, they're like, oh, I just, this was the house we wanted in the they first place. They got too place. cocky. Yeah. They just, and I'm like, walk away. Walk yeah. away. Walk away while you're ahead, man. No need to go to the high roller yeah. table. <laughs> yeah. Know when you can quit. So, but I tell Laura, you know, okay, if I'm Joe Pesci, I'm not out yet because somebody just hit me in the balls. I have to avenge my balls. Like an eight-year-old boy, just an eight-year-old balls. Eight-year-old like, boy. That, that's where you're like, I should, I should be able to win. Yes, yeah. Oh, he got the drop on me. Fine. Yeah. Fine. This is how it's gonna be. All right. Uh, so then Daniel Stern gets shot in the head. Then both of them decide to split up, one going in the back door, one going in the front door, and they both slip on the respective stairs, which have been iced. Uh, both they twice. both slip uh, Joe Pesci three times. <laughs> At one point, he does like a backflip suplex on himself. Look at this acrobat well, Joe, Joe Pesci. Yeah, Joe Pesci's stunt double, as we pointed out, is much slimmer, younger, and uh, obviously a lot more gymnastic than uh, Joe Pesci probably Yeah, there's is. a real... There's a real uh, Stunt double switch when you watch it. Yeah, if you if you pay close attention, you can see the 
tiny It's kind ears. of like the Sabrina so the Teenage Witch, like the scenes that had the actual Talking cat, cat. <laughs> and the scenes with like the puppet cat. Oh my gosh, like, yes. That's the ter- where you're like, oh my god, you're bad at this. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so they both slide down the thing. The Daniel Stern opens a door and pulls an iron down on his face. An iron from, like, the top story of a three-story house falls down the laundry chute and hits him in the face. This is the, probably the first one that will kill one of them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely could be a fatality. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he then f- steps on a nail, which has been... Oh, no, after, after, yeah, he, he got tarred, so it was foot by foot. He lost a shoe. He lost the other shoe. He lost his sock. He lost the other sock. And, and then, then on the fifth, then on the fifth step, there's a nail. And then I don't know why you get one foot stuck in and you go, that's probably the only non-tarred step, right? <laughs> right. Like, that's just an accident. But at least when you're, when you're in your socks, you're like, I... Fooled me once, fooled me twice, twice kind of situation. Stop walking up the stairs. So at this point, I'm, I'm, what I'm thinking is they've had to establish how stupid he is. He's like, pretty He's, du- he's, he's like, the dummy. And that's the reason the dummy pranks he are the ones he falls for, where I think Joe Pesci are always the avenging personal hurts. Like... <laughs> Where they'd make you angry, but you could still... He keeps getting surprised by the things happening to him, whereas Daniel Stern just walks right into it and then keeps asking for more. Yeah, he so he gets tarred, tarred, loses everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, then nail in the foot, and then walks back outside. Is then he walks a- right back outside. Now... Falls down again. Falls And falls down again. We have, uh, then Joe Pesci proceeds to brand the monogrammed McAllister doorknob into his hand, which is molten because of some hot iron. A monogrammed doorknob? This is the McAllister residence. That's like, in the South, they like monogram everything, and I still have never seen a monogrammed doorknob. I have never seen a monogrammed doorknob. Uh, Then Joe Pesci sticks his head (laughs) in the back door because uh, it doesn't have a molten doorknob and proceeds to have his head shot on fire like we were talking about. This is maybe the second thing that probably could have killed somebody. Absolutely should have killed killed someone. And, and, And when he's done, he has like a comical crown on his head with like a little tuft of hair but it is so cratered in the middle. Like it, he lost he's down to like skull at that point. <laughs> yeah, these are third degree burns. If he's not in pain, it's because all the nerves have been burned. Yeah, away. that is, he yes. is gonna have some butt skin grafted onto his head. <laughs> <laughs> and they could probably take it from Marv's corpse because he's about to die probably for the second time. So, they Marv goes in the back and starts stepping on ornaments and he proceeds to keep stepping on ornaments in his bare feet. It's it's the same thing as the tar. He's got a lot of heart. He just doesn't know how to turn back because he sh- he just stop walking or sweep or them away. Use the use your arm. It's you're not in the darkness. Just use your arm and sweep them away. Yeah, I think that's the thing that like really blows my mind about about them and both of them actually in general is they don't look before they do something. And I know that that's like how the movie works and things like that. But at this point. Feel like you should like look before you leap or step or move any part of your body for that matter. Just take a deep breath. Because you have learned that even though it's an eight-year-old child, the the kid is your equal. Yeah. So do not underestimate the small child. Yeah, you know, that's sort of interesting. I've never really questioned it until right now, but 
Kevin would be at an advantage to have turned all the lights off in the house. The year after I left high school, um, all of the kids in the theater department went to TP, the theater director's house, the high school theater teacher. Anyway, weird guy decided that the best idea was to run out of his house when they're TPing his house with a full broadsword and swing it at the kids and he cut a kid's finger off. <gasps> what? What? So wait, you knew somebody in the modern era who suffered a broadsword injury. (laughs) First of all, that broadsword was definitely purchased at a renaissance fair. Right. Wait, so did this kid get his finger sewed back on? Or does he have the story he has to tell to every (laughs) lover he ever dates that, Uh, oh, I lost it to a broadsword that was wielded by a guy whose house I was TPing. So they should have lost a finger. A finger yeah. injury would have been good. Yeah. yeah. Then yeah, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't really lose any body parts. There and their the amount of bleeding head. that they should have been was right. greatly reduced for they this kid's movie. Sh- should be dead. Right. They don't really have any blood on them. There's main. There's three to four main things that I think should have killed people. We've already gotten the <laughs> iron hitting you in the head or your f- head being caught on fire. What's about to happen next could have probably killed them both. They pursue him up the stairs and the famous paint cans come down and hit them oh. both square in the face. But there okay. is the tar and feathering. Oh, yes. Okay, so right before this, he manages to get Joe Pesci to walk into saran wrap that's covered in some sort of oil. And as soon as he takes it off, then he triggers a fan to blow feathers all over him. Just then petty. Yeah, just real petty shit. Like, that's not even to paint. It's just to, like, at this point, you... Uh, that's just to humiliate him. Yeah. Like, Kevin McAllister at eight years old is like, I have read The Art of War. (laughs) I will now do some Machiavellian uh, practices. And uh, it's interesting that, like, the whole point of this is just to anger him. So, like, at this point, we know that Kevin McAllister wants to punish them. It's not just to get them to go away, or he wouldn't have tried to humiliate them. Yes. He, the humiliation is he's keep coming. He's a sadist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The child is a sadist. Look, he's saying, don't. He's like, don't rob my house. I have now stopped you twice from doing it. Move on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they come up. They both get hit with paint cans. Once they get to the top of the stairs, they hit a trip line. And that's when he gets caught by the ankle, and then he places a tarantula, Buzz's tarantula, which got loose in an earlier scene, on Daniel Stern's face, and he freaks out and has a delightful man scream. <laughs> and then, and then he beats Joe Pesci with the crowbar, trying to kill the tarantula. I and- think, uh, going back to that tripwire, yeah. I was very surprised that that tripwire just tripped them, did not act because we've had so many other tripwires that have like dropped something or right. turned something on, and this was just a straight up tripwire. And they like played it up like Kevin's like running under it like several times, and he's like testing it, and then it's just a tripwire. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's like oh, all right. I also noticed that that was the one that got Joe Pesci the most. Like that that simple little thing was the one that laid him out the longest. But like basically Joe Pesci, who's already been like, I'm gonna I'm gonna work through so much pain, like flipped over a tripwire and then was like, and then when they were like, we got him, just help me because apparently 
like an eight-year-old boy is too hard to hold to pull down yeah um is it's like when he's like i can't i can't get up i'm done i guess at this point we have to accept that the two bandits definitely have suffered concussions and maybe are quickly losing brain functionality (laughs) Uh, they are not operating at their their top of their right but physically they seem to still be all right because the next thing on the list is climbing hand over hand on a zip line three stories up three stories up which i'm a I like to think that I'm a relatively physically fit person, and I couldn't do that. And Joe Pesci looks like he's less fit than me, and so I can't buy that he's doing it. I or would suggest that they should do it. Like, I wouldn't I wouldn't be able to hold on to that zipline. I would need a harness. There is no way I have the upper body strength to ride that zipline. Yeah, Kevin yeah. rides on a zipline that's maybe 100 feet, 150 feet. Like, it seems like a really long-ass zipline. They have a gigantic backyard. They have a giant backyard. They've got a full treehouse. This is... It's real it's suburban porn right there. Yeah. yeah, that's like the promise. That's yeah. the American dream right we there. Get to, <laughs> we get to the end where finally Kevin has to end up getting rescued by surly old man that he talked to Just in the church. Just old man Jenkins. Old man Jenkins. Yeah, okay, so that is something that really hit me for the first time in watching this movie. Now, after all of that, after everything he did, they still bested him. Yeah. He was going to get tortured and killed had um old, old man, man Marley. Oh Marley. Marley. Old man Marley. It's, it's not old man Jenkins. Showed up. They're all yeah. old man Jenkins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean he got got. He Yeah. He could you know, he delayed the inevitable, but And I wonder why they decided that he couldn't win. Yeah. I wonder if, like, the idea was we can't let the kid, we can't have the kid win because if we do, like, we're going to be sending a message to kids that they should Kids like. might revolt. They were yeah. really concerned about the kids' revolt of the yeah. 1990s. Oh, you may be right. They didn't want kid, or they didn't want kids to ultimately think that taking matters into their own hands was the smart thing yeah. to do. Uh, so we get to the, we finally get to the end of the movie and uh, Kevin's mom gets home and they have this, like, you know, really sweet moment or that is sort of like in uh, any other movie. It would be the romantic where the romantic leads finally get together. <laughs> well, it's a real um, Homer's Odyssey. Uh, the mom is, <laughs> is uh, Odysseus trying to <laughs> get home and Kevin mm. is uh, the wife. Penelope. Yeah, I think so. And, uh, and he's, and he's just fighting off suitors. He's, he's killing suitors. It's, it's Homer's Odyssey. Oh my gosh. Told from the wife's perspective <laughs> as a little kid. Homer's alone. Homer's oh, alone. Oh, snaps. Homer's alone, colon, kid die hard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I loved Homer's alone. <laughs> so I have a bone to pick with the very final ending. Please. And that is, she she goes through all of this. She entitled white ladies herself very slowly and convolutedly back with the France. help of John Candy of all people. Yeah, at the end, riding in the back of a budget like rental rent truck. truck. Yeah. Um, which I'm surprised she was down with, but I guess at this she point She was desperate. At this point. She's but a mother. She finally gets home and then three minutes later, the rest of the family comes inside. She could have enjoyed like twenty four hours. No, she in had Paris. to punish in herself. Paris. This is this is the difference. Yeah. This is the difference. So like the mother, to make it okay, the mother had to, like, 
whip herself and flagellate herself and and the dad just could lean back and relax and then fly home and be like hun it's like i told you we just wait for the friday morning flight why why did only the mom have to that's the question i have why didn't everyone decide that it was their fault uh, I mean, because at the end of the day, it's the oldest daughter's I fault. <laughs> <laughs> Take her phone away. Yeah. I mean. Phone privileges. Whatever the 1990s equivalent tape. Take her beeper away. Yeah. But yeah, it's her fault. It's- yeah. This is definitely one of those movies that had to have happened right now because the internet and cell phones are about to come around the corner and totally rectify the problem of this movie. Yeah. This is one of those movies that would totally just be just end absolutely with Yeah, cell I phones. wonder what it's like to watch this with a kid that's grown up in... Only like, having have cell phones. How many questions do you get of like, well, why is it like that? Why can they get on the airplane without all like the the rigmarole? Like, They're smoking in restaurants. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> I mean, I do... There's like a real... I, I get a real kick out of pre-9-11 airport scenes in movies. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it brings me back to, like, traveling for Christmas myself when my mom would just be like, here's 17 tote bags full of wrapped gifts. Go wander, like, waddle through the, like, security <laughs> gate. There was, like, a time that is shown in this movie where you could show up to the airport, like a busy Chicago, they're at like Chicago O'Hare and they show up 45 minutes before takeoff and on all- On an international flight. Oh, it, yeah, it was an interna- international flight. International Everybody- flight and they had 45 minutes leaving the house. So they still had to drive to the airport. Wait, so they were on an international flight where everybody would have had to shown their passport and that's not where they realized they didn't have Kevin? Yeah, that's, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like surely then they're like, uh yeah, and then uh, you said uh, Kevin. There's uh, can I see his passport? Yeah, Kevin, show me your passport. There's a lot of continuity here. So we didn't even talk about the fact that how do you call the pizza guy when there's no phones? Yeah, that there's a pizza. There's a real, there's a real Kevin as a jerk. Like, scene, scene out of nowhere. And I'm like, is this? I don't know if this is here. It's here to establish a scene that happens immediately after they just do the same scene again, and you're like. We would have gotten it once. We got it the first time. It's it's a cool idea. He uses the TV to like scare s- off scare the someone p- at the back door. But like he's using the like thirteen inch kitchen TV, and everyone thinks that these are real people. Like that that's like a that's like a Dolby surround sound sound they, system. He's got they've got a tiny TV, but they love their audio. They. <laughs> invested audio they have a really hi-fi system on their tiny kitchen television so he's a jerk off and scares off the pizza guy who he's somehow miraculously called but then the very next scene he uses the exact same scheme to scare off the burglars the first time the best part is he was sitting there forward fast forwarding and rewinding and so he had like spent the afternoon like preparing the whole process dude he uh yeah. He's he's gifted. He's he's a <laughs> he's a booby trap savant. Well, I guess this brings us to our title question, Do I Still Love It? Diana Wright. Uh yeah. I I really thought I wasn't, but yeah, I really loved it. Yeah, this movie I think has enough going on that I'm I'm kinda in it the whole time. I, I didn't like the Catherine O'Hara, John Candy scenes because they felt really random, and I 
Except that, that for me, at least, they felt heavily improvised. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, uh, all right, John Candy, you're playing the most depressing guy ever. But uh, but otherwise, like, yeah, I really like it. Like, Macaulay Culkin was something special as a little kid. He's kind of adorable and manages to pull off a lot of scenes that would have fallen flat without such a charismatic kid. Like, the pacing is really good. It never bores you. It never really overwhelms you. The only time that it overwhelms you, it overwhelms you with glee because you're like, yeah, yeah, more. Go, go down, you know, at the end when when there's just, like, carnage. <laughs> Well, that about does it. I really want to thank our guest, writer-director Diana Wright, for coming back on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We just really love watching movies about little scamps of boys getting into mischief. (laughs) It's the only genre I... I, That's my Netflix cue. It's all that. (laughs) Little little scamps with mischief. (laughs) And then it's just critically acclaimed dramas and little scamps with mischief. The only two I've got. (laughs) We'll have to have you on to watch Little Rascals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Do you have any projects coming up that you'd like people to check out? Yeah, I'm on a sketch team at the Pack Theater uh, called Royale, and we have a show every Wednesday, oh no, every third Wednesday of the month, and this Wednesday we're coming up, but considering it's Tuesday, I doubt <laughs> you'll uh, get this in time. So, so, <laughs> so January. You, yeah, so January. <laughs> Follow me on Twitter at That's Right with a W, um, or... Yeah, just do that. Yeah. That one. <laughs> All right, we'll link to it on the show notes. You can always check that out on doistilloveit.com. I make a movie poster for every movie, so go check out I'm Sure This Movie Poster Looks Hilarious. <laughs> uh, you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Do I Still Love It, and we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show wherever you listen to it and share it with a friend because... You like podcasts. You like this podcast. Share it with a friend who also likes podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, for Do I Still Love It, I'm Marshall James. And I'm Laura Weiss. Saying, ah! Keep the change, you, you filthy, filthy animal. animal.